welcome to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am Leah Heigl and I am here with my co-host Aidan Muir. Uh, last week we discussed all things calorie surpluses, so it only makes sense for us to go in the complete opposite direction this week and talk about calorie deficits. So I actually want to start with briefly talking about how energy balance and a how energy balance works and what a calorie deficit actually is because I think it adds a good kind of background to what we're going to talk about. So energy balance is basically the balance of calories coming in versus the calories being burnt through metabolism and daily activities. So a calorie deficit specifically is when you are burning more calories than what is coming in through food. So what happens in this case is your body still needs to make up for that energy, those calories somewhere. So what it's going to do is go to your internal stores, so things like your muscle mass and body fat, and take the calories from there, hence why you lose weight when you're in a calorie deficit. But before we get into exactly what size calorie deficit you should use, um, we want to cover one important and common question, and that is, is it possible to actually be so low calorie that it prevents weight loss from occurring? The short answer is no, <laughs> but it is it is much more complicated than that, obviously. Um, I'll start off with like one thing that's kind of unrelated to that, but then work backwards to what we're going towards. So a lot of people will be like, calories in versus calories out is outdated thinking, or they might say it's not calories, it's hormones, or add a lot of other reasons why it's not calories. But calories in, calories out works because the body is made up of calories as you said one kilo of body fat is made up of about seven thousand calories it's not exact science like it depends on how much water is in that adipose tissue and like all those kind of things but it's like close enough like it's Mm -hmm. it's pretty much roughly that on average and the hormones and stuff like that play a role in our energy expenditure it's a moving target like maintenance calories is a moving target like the amount of calories you require to create a calorie deficit is a moving target um Things like lower thyroid hormones reduce your energy expenditure. Higher ghrelin makes you hungry and you probably eat more calories. Like hormones are factored into the calories in, calories out kind of model. So let's say you burn a certain amount as a factual statement and you eat less than you burn. Where is that deficit made up of? Where does it come from? Because we can't just create energy out of nowhere and it can't just disappear or anything like that. If we've burned a certain amount as a factual statement and we've eaten less than it, it has to come from our internal stores because we only get it externally from food. That's why calorie deficit works. It's going to come from our body fat, could come from our muscle, that's also a storage form of energy, but that's why a calorie deficit has to equal weight loss. There's a lot of people who say stuff like, I'm in a calorie deficit, but I'm not losing weight. But the definition of a calorie deficit involves weight loss because of this mathematics I just went through there. So now getting into that question of like, can, it be, can you be so low calorie that it prevents weight loss? Literally just thinking about the mechanism I talked about. Say you've burned a certain amount, you've eaten less than an amount, that leads to weight loss. How is it possible for it to be a situation where you're eating very low calories and you're not losing weight? The only way that that is physically possible is if there are adaptations occurring that bring your calorie expenditure down to the point that you're eating at. And that comes from a grain of truth. That's why people talk about things like starvation mode and stuff like that. I don't like the term starvation mode. It's not a thing. <laughs> but metabolic adaptation is a thing which we have we have talked about previously. But your body can adapt in certain ways. It can reduce energy expenditure through certain means. It can only take it so far, though. 
And there are some cases in the research where people are on low calories and they're also not losing weight. One example of this is when females are in a state of low energy availability, doing heaps of exercise, they're on relatively low calories. They have evidence of being on low calories due to like they've lost their period and stuff like that. That's a sign of adaptation. That's a sign um, that they have been in a state of low energy availability. And they happen to be eating the exact same sweet spot where they're eating as many calories as they're burning, even though they're not eating many calories. But even in that kind of rare situation, which is one exception to this, if they eat less than that, they still lose weight. So like, that's why the short answer is no, like it it doesn't prevent weight loss. It's never a question of, am I eating too many calories or too few? It's always too many calories. That doesn't make it a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) To just go less. Yeah. Yeah, If if you are on a really small amount of calories and you're not losing weight, that's probably a sign that there's some other things going on that might need to be addressed. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Like it doesn't mean like a lot of, like I'm really cautious when I have this conversation because, and it's easier for me to have it on over a podcast than it is like face-to-face with a client. But like it's a really cautious conversation because people will hear me say that and be like, oh, Aiden's just saying eat less calories always. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, that's not the takeaway. <laughs> I, I'm just like answering the question being like, is it possible on so low calories that it prevents weight loss? And it's like, that's that's never the issue. That's um, every time a study has been done in a controlled environment where they've put people on low calories, they drop weight like crazy. The lower calorie you go, the quicker you lose weight. In the real world where there's other variables... It, it happens quite a lot. People talk about this, but there's a lot of variables that go into this. Like one is, as we've spoken about previously, but like under-reporting. Huge. It's huge. It's huge. It, it, it is huge. Like um, there is one study that I always reference where people under-reported by an average of 47% in terms of what they, they thought they ate yesterday. And somebody in that study was 80% under in that they were recorded to have eaten over 3,000 calories, but what they said was 800 that doesn't make people liars, but it does mean like we struggle to communicate what we do. And in that study, the most important statistic that I take away from it is nobody got within 20%, which therefore means if somebody's reporting low calories and we're not even adding 20% onto it, knowing this kind of data exists in the research, like we're, we're probably missing things. Because like the example I'll use personally is like, I don't know, I probably eat a slice of cake once every two months. But if somebody asked me what I eat... You wouldn't factor that <laughs> I in. I wouldn't factor that in, but that's still calories. Like, stuff just goes missing. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I find even when people are tracking calories, they'll whatever they do consistently day-to-day is what they'll factor in, but they might do something a little different every single day that adds yeah. calories, but they're not going to think of that as one of their fundamental habits. Yeah. But it is calories coming in at the end of the day, and I think that's why under-reporting can be quite large yeah for sure i suppose like this is not what we really wanted to be talking about too yeah, much we kind of took I, a little bit yeah, of a side turn yeah yeah the, the last thing i was going to touch on is like how do medical conditions factor into this because yeah. like a lot of people are like oh calories in calories that falls apart with medical conditions it still doesn't like it still doesn't like those are factored in like for example somebody with um hypothyroidism their energy expenditure is reduced Maybe it's by roughly 15%. It's hard to actually get numbers on this. I actually looked quite hard because I was writing an article on this and like it seemed like 15% reduction if it's not addressed. Like if it's like, and that varies based on how low their thyroid hormones and everything like that gets. But it's like, once again, that that's still in the model. It's just, it, it's harder to lose weight. Obviously it's harder to create a calorie deficit. I've got heaps of empathy for that. Um, 
but that's still part of the model. PCOS, we've talked yeah. about we've talked about maybe basal metabolic rate is reduced by like 14 to 40%. That's a potential it's potential that that exists. But that's once again factored into the model. It's yeah. not weight loss is impossible. It's it's still the calories in out calories out model. It's just adjusted based on these different situations. And for some people that if you're not sure whether you fall into the camp of oh maybe I'm underreporting or maybe I for whatever reason have a really low basal metabolic rate, you you can get your RMR yeah. or your BMR tested. So if you think you're that's a problem for you, like go do it. Why not see what the actual kind of underlying cause is for you to be on like low calories and continue yeah. to not lose weight. I've had some outlier clients from that. I've been yeah. I've been surprised as well. Like some people who are like significantly different to what was predicted basically so it is worth looking at for sure and not that expensive i've recently looked into it i think it's only like hundred dollars or something yeah so eh, yeah and if this is if this is like a major source of frustration yeah hundred dollars probably worth it yeah trial it um but going back on to more of what we were talking about (laughs) today um is let's get into the pros and cons of having like a larger calorie deficit versus a smaller calorie deficit so let's start with larger deficits. So this is talking like less than 70 to 75% of your maintenance calories. So anything more aggressive than that. Um, the first thing that always comes up for me is definitely hunger. Hunger is a huge one when it comes to barriers to success with weight loss. It's a very uncomfortable feeling. And the larger the deficit, usually the quicker that hunger is and more severe it comes on. Um Secondary to that, you've got just a level of restriction that you need to have when you're on a very large calorie deficit. You're less likely to be able to go out with friends, enjoy an extra slice of cake on your birthday, or, you know, you you can't really do those things when your calorie budget is so low. Uh, And then kind of rattling a few things off, you've got fatigue, so less if you've got way less energy coming in you're going to be tired uh muscle loss so potentially not a great thing for athletes where muscle retention is important possibly not a great thing for them to do in the long term uh same with kind of training outcomes so training's not going to feel as good uh potential disruptions to sleep is another one um, as well as increased risk of injury if you're training um, as well as illness uh and then Kind of the final part is potential issues with the relationship with food. So I don't know. I don't know if there's many studies on this looking at people's relationships with food when they're in a large calorie deficit. But just talking like anecdotally and through the clients that I see, most people struggle with a really large calorie deficit and kind of develop a bit of a warped um, view of food. And their relationship with food, potentially not the best after that. Like binge eating is one that I think can come from, from that, really, yeah. really severe dieting. Yeah, yeah. that's It's one of those ones where it's like research does exist on that topic, but it's like I don't think we need research. Like we see we, this yeah, so much. Like, I'd love to kind of be able to throw out stats, but it's one of those things where I see it in practice so much that I just I know it's a yeah. real thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So from a positive perspective, why would someone want to do that? quicker (laughs) i i always talk about when i'm talking to my clients i'm like i for me i love aggressive dieting i like to drop the weight quickly um so even though i'm an athlete technically i'm powerlifter and it would be best for me to do it slowly there's nothing that motivates me more than seeing that scale go down as 
quickly yeah. as possible. So I think at the end of the day, that's probably the biggest driving factor for why someone would choose a large calorie deficit. Um, it means you're spending just less time in that deficit. Get get in, get it done, get out. Yeah. So that's a good aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. And like that's that's also another thing from the sustainability perspective where it's like if you go twice as quick, you're in there half as long. And like if even a moderate calorie deficit is a burden for you and you might have to like not miss social occasions, but you might have to hold back at social occasions or like whatever it is, you just spend a shorter period of time like that. And I often view it being like not only is it a shorter period of time, it means you have more time on higher calories where you have more flexibility. So I I actually don't really have too much bias in either direction because it's like we just rattled off like a list of like 10 plus things as to why it's a bad like what <laughs> the downsides like of it and there's side. only one good side but the one good side is actually pretty valid because it also means you have less time experiencing those 10 plus downsides as yeah. well whether restriction is minimal or severe i feel it's the same yeah in <laughs> so a way. i'd in in a way almost like i'd rather go through a period of time that's smaller where i'm more uncomfortable than go through minimal kind of restriction for a a really long period of time but everybody's different and that's why this really comes down to personal preference yeah so from an athlete perspective one of the biggest things that I've always cared about is obviously just body composition trying not to lose muscle while in a deficit potentially gain it if you can but like trying to minimize muscle loss and coming from that background of like me reading on bodybuilding.com and stuff like that people often talked about like if you drop weight really quickly you're going to lose a lot of muscle. And like that has been challenged a little bit, like that idea just being like, are people saying that without actually looking at the research? But like I I do want to go over some interesting research on the topic and be like that phenomenon that people are referring to does exist, but it's a nuanced topic because then you've also got to factor in the time. So like the first study I'm going to talk about is titled Effect of Two Different Weight Loss Rates on Body Composition and Strength and Power Related Performance in Elite Athletes. And they basically did 0.7% weight loss per week, which is theoretically a 20% calorie deficit, versus 1.4% predicted weight loss per week, which they did was a 30% calorie deficit. The maths doesn't fully check out to me, but like, (laughs) either way, they were comparing slow versus fast weight loss. And they had 24 athletes split over two groups and they were lifting four times per week, which is pretty relevant from like the types of people we work with. Um, So the fast group, oh, so sorry, I was going to say, so both groups actually had similar total weight loss at the end of it. They both lost 5.5 kilos, but the fast group got there quicker. It got there in around five weeks, whereas the slow group got there in about 8.5 weeks. So it's like... I don't know, slow, like 8.5 weeks to lose 5.5 kilos. It's not overly slow. Like it's it's just slower than the alternative. Um, whereas the other group lost just over a kilo per week. So the slower group gained 2.1% lean mass. They gained muscle while losing 5.5 kilos over 8.5 weeks. That's a pretty impressive outcome. Oh, and this is an elite athlete. So this isn't even gen pop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive outcome. And the fast group had their lean mass remained unchanged so they lost over a kilo per week without losing any lean mass so both groups actually got pretty impressive outcomes but like it kind of supports both arguments in a way where it's kind of like do it a little bit slower you're going to preserve more lean mass or gain more lean mass do it faster you get it done quicker but it's not like you're dropping lean mass like crazy particularly in this case if the training's good protein's good you've got potential to gain or maintain muscle um 
so that's a bit of an interesting one. Yeah, so perhaps the the downside of fast, like dieting really aggressively in terms of muscle loss, maybe not a huge as huge of a deal as some people make it out to be. Yeah, for sure. The second study I was going to talk about is moderate energy restriction with high protein diets results in healthier outcomes in women. And they basically compared 0.5 kilos versus one kilo per week for four weeks. Um, they were not elite athletes, but they were lifting weights regularly. And they had 1.4 grams per kilogram body weight protein per day or more. Basically, at the end of the study, there was no change in lean mass for either group. So theoretically, the group that dropped twice as quick still had the same outcomes from muscle mass. Um, the quicker group had their testosterone drop by 30%. But this was also in women. It was like, do they really care about it that much? I, I don't know. Like, um, and the performance results were interesting in that the 0.5 kilo group had no change in performance, whereas the faster group had their bench press go down a little bit, but their ability to squat 50% of their body weight to failure improved. So like their actual squat, like with lighter weights, improved more than the group that lost quicker. But the bench press, it was like just, it was just like, I don't know, it was pretty random basically. Yeah, from what surely I it's say. like a little bit of an outlier. I maybe. think so. Yeah. Yeah. But still, it kind of goes to show that you're not necessarily going to get weaker just because you're dieting yeah. more aggressively. Exactly. Yeah. And like the whole point of those two studies I was really talking about is just because, like, I, I am a believer that it does actually, like, if you're trying to preserve as much lean mass as possible, you do want to be going slower. But it's just not as bad as some people would make out if you do go quicker. And another thing is that probably the more body fat you have at the start, the easier it is to go quicker without losing muscle, the leaner you get, the harder it gets. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a difference in the severity of diets too. Like even mm. if we're talking aggressive, like we have everything from like 500 calorie diets to, you know, people losing, some people losing just a kilo per week would be deemed aggressive. Yeah. So there's like a huge kind of, uh, I guess, room to play within that where if, yeah, if I was on a 500 calorie diet that would be a huge deficit and there'd probably be more of a chance of muscle loss yeah um but something like a kilo per week maybe not a big deal so based on the logic of the leaner you get um potentially the more at risk you are of muscle loss with a larger calorie deficit um we have this kind of one paper from eric helms that's titled Evidence-Based Recommendations for Natural Bodybuilding Contest Preparation. Um, so obviously looking at people that are quite muscular, um, that are looking to get very lean. So the study proposed that about a 0.5 to 1% weight loss throughout a bodybuilding prep with the higher end being utilized at the start and the lower nearer to the like to the competition is probably what is going to be beneficial. Um, and if you go much more than that, perhaps there is a chance that you will lose lean mass, kind of the leaner that you are. Yeah, and that's that's a study I've referenced so, so many times because it's like there there's so many opinions in, say, bodybuilding, how to get super lean and stuff like that. And, like, that paper seemed to be, like, the first one to really just, like, put it all together. Like, yeah. it was also one of the ones that first, like, proposed higher protein targets than the recommended amount. Like, previously, people have talked about, like, 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram body weight per day for optimizing muscle growth. But nobody had ever been like, what do we do with people who are sub 10% body fat looking to get leaner and maximize muscle retention? It's just retention? such an outlier. It's such an outlier. So there was not a lot of research on bodybuilding, but like he summarized it at that time. And there's um, been more research since then, but it's something that's really, really relevant. And like if it under those circumstances, like 0.5 to 1%, like it makes a lot of sense. And that another complication, this is going to be a niche area, not relevant for a lot of people, but like 
what if you're getting near that like five percent as a male kind of body bodybuilding kind of like once you're around that five percent mark you don't want to go overly slow even if you're risking muscle loss because you don't want to be that lean <laughs> for too long so you're not only balancing okay i've got to go relatively slow to minimize muscle loss you also don't want to be like i don't want to turn a 16 to 20 week prep into a 30 week prep and go super super slow because we know there are also downsides of being super super lean one the relationship with food thing the obsession with food but then also markers like your thyroid function and like testosterone like thyroid function actually gets quite suppressed to the point that like some people are classified as hypothyroid because they're that lean um you don't want to be there for longer than necessary but i do like that idea of like one percent at the start down to 0.5 percent at the end because like a lot of people will start their preps at I don't know, 15% body fat, 15 to 20% body fat. But that also makes it like interesting because it's kind of like people who aren't bodybuilders are often starting their fat loss phases around there too. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. And just thinking about what happens practically with weight loss is most people start more aggressively and as they lose Mm. weight naturally kind of just just go into a smaller calorie deficit and they lose a little bit smaller percentage per week, per month or whatever. So usually is what people mostly do when they're having kind of a successful weight loss bout yeah and i guess the the conclusion that we'll go with is like i think it's pretty pretty open to individual choice like i personally do like that range i talked about 0.5 to 1 percent or like even putting numbers in like half kilo to one kilo per week and stuff like that like for a lot of people some people would like slower than that mm-hmm. other people would like quicker and i think the key is like being open minded to different approaches something that i found interesting quite recently there's two people martin mcdonald and eugene teo both of them are massive followings on instagram both of them know heaps about nutrition both of them to the best of my knowledge have good relationships with food and stuff like that and both of them recently did rapid fat loss phases and it's just like for them there's like this is my preference I, I know the the risks associated with it. I know the downsides. I know all of those kind of things. And I know the upsides of the fact that it's quicker and I'd prefer to do it quicker. And they did that and they showed it in a really interesting way. And they've, like, they've done podcast content. They've done YouTube content and all of those kind of things. And it's kind of like, if you weren't open-minded to that kind of stuff, you'd think that's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> this is true, yeah. But I really resonate with that approach. Like yeah. It's not something I'm going to go and use with a bunch of clients because I know the risks. But yeah. I know myself enough to be using an approach like that for me yeah for sure so it's an interesting idea to just be open-minded to and think about but i do like that kind of thing in terms of that more like moderate as well i suppose you could call it but as you can tell from the pros and cons list there is a lot of downsides but the upside of it being quicker could outweigh that for some people so this has been episode 41 of the ideal nutrition podcast as always if you haven't already and if you have access to being able to do it if you could please leave a rating and review that would be greatly appreciated